Well, it's good to be together. And, uh, you know, only a holy God. I was thinking the word holy means separate, like different, like unique, like there's no other God like our God. Only a holy God, and, and that's who he is. And we've been qualified to be able to come into his presence through what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's such a wonderful gift to be a Christian and uh, to begin to recognize all that God has in store for those you know, who respond to his offer of grace as uh, Josh prayed. Well, this morning, I'd like to go back to kind of last week where we left off kind of short. Last week was actually New Year's Day. You remember that, right? I mean, that was January 1st. We're only a week into the new year. But I thought I'd like to go back there because we didn't really finish and uh, just kind of take off from there. So uh, that was in Romans chapter 12. You have a Bible and you want to follow along. Uh, But we were really looking at um, kind of a biblical um, prescription for real change in our life. Like if we're really going to be serious about making a resolution and having change, like in 2023, do we really want to be at a different place at the end of this year than we are at the beginning of the year? Uh, Well, how do we actually do that? And so Paul in Romans, you know, for 11 chapters gives us theology, all of what God has done for us. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says, therefore, since God has been so good and God has come close to us in Christ and, you know, at Christmas time, God went all the way from heaven, all the way down to earth to become one of us, emptied himself, humbled himself so that he could get close to us. And so how do we therefore respond? And Paul is like in the role of a counselor in chapter 12 in the first couple of verses. He says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, come on guys, you know, in in reaction, in response to all that God has done for us, how should we respond to him? And, um, you know, when Jesus was here, you remember in John 10.10, Jesus said this, he said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it, what, abundantly. So if you think about the word abundance, you know, you realize that what God really wants to do is give us a life that's so satisfying to us that we've got margin on the outside. We've got abundance that we overflow into other people's lives, right? That, that we, we're so satisfied in what God has done for us and we so live off his spirit living in us and we're so confident about the future and the hope that he's given us and where we're going and, and we're so restful that we've got margin in our life to be abundant, to overflow, to influence other people around us. And that's what you know uh, our country really needs right now is for us to kind of stand up and live that abundant life that Jesus said he came uh, to give us. And so... In response to all of God's goodness, how are we supposed to respond? You know, it's one thing to believe God and to sit and receive from God. I mean, it's fabulous. It's great, right, to just take the grace and the love and the truth and the wisdom and just let God pour into our lives. It's wonderful to receive from God. In fact, John says this in John chapter 1 and uh, verse 16. He says, from his fullness... From God's fullness, we have received grace after grace after grace, grace upon grace upon grace. We just receive, 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 and that's wonderful. However, there comes a time where how do we respond to all that we've received? 
And that's what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 12. And so uh, I always think about this. uh, In Romans chapter 10, Paul, who's a Jewish person, right, is uh, writing and he's thinking about other Jewish people. And you remember he says this in chapter 10 and verse 2. He says, uh, I, I bear witness to my fellow Jewish people that they have a zeal for God. They're hot for God, but not according to the truth, not according to knowledge. Now, maybe you know some people like that. They're really on fire for God, but they don't know what they're talking about. Have you ever met somebody like that? I mean, they're really all fired up, but you don't have a zeal for God, but not according to the truth that God has revealed in his word. And so, Paul, what are you talking about here? What are they missing? Well, the next couple of verses go like this. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, they're seeking to establish a righteousness of their own. Instead of saying, wow, God put his perfect son on the cross and allowed him to die there in my place and then took his righteousness and credited it to my account. Rather than say that, the Jewish people still living by the law saying, wow, I've got to be good. I've got to, you know, accomplish all of these laws. And, you know, the Ten Commandments grew into 562 laws, all kinds of laws. And Paul says, I I give these people credit. They got a zeal. But, wow, they're not listening to what God is revealing about himself. You know, and as a result of that, uh, they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. So uh, in Romans 12, the first couple of verses, we saw that the very first appropriate response to all that we've received from God is a thing that Paul calls spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. And in that passage, Paul says that spiritual worship starts when we present our bodies as living sacrifices. As living sacrifices to God. Everything you do for God in this lifetime, you'll do through your body. So Paul says the place to start for spiritual worship, okay, is to present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Now, you know that all through the Old Testament, um, sacrifice was at the core of worship. It's how the people got together with God, right, and made atonement for their sins. But all through the Old Testament, they were dead sacrifices. They were animals whose blood had to be shed. Why? Well, because the penalty for sin from a holy God is death. And so to remind the people how serious God is about our sin, you know, we're like casual about it. We're like, slip it under the rug and let's pretend it's not there. But God is dead serious about sin. He's a holy God. He's different than we are. And God is too holy to even look on our sin. And so death became the penalty that God announced for sin. And um, because of that, all of these uh, dead sacrifices were at the core of worship in the Old Testament. But since Jesus came and died in our place on the cross, worship now is about living sacrifices. I don't know about you, but uh, I've sort of learned over the years, I guess, probably the hard way. Um, If you're going to love, you know, uh, if God's going to love us, it's going to cost him. He's going to sacrifice his son. Huge, right? but it proves how much God loves us. If you're going to love God, it's going to cost you something too. I found out that if you're going to love anybody, it's going to involve sacrifice, 
right? All you married people say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to give up, you know, this or that in order that, you know, I might communicate my love to my spouse. Well, worship is about living sacrifices. And so Paul says our first response is spiritual worship, offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And then second, last week we saw that uh, in addition to that, a second response is that uh, if we're going to love God, we're going to need to stay connected to him, right? Um, Connection. And we saw that uh, Paul talks here in Romans uh, chapter 12 in the next couple of verses. He says, not only do we need to stay connected to God, but we need to stay connected to ourselves. Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Like, be in touch with yourself. Understand, you know, where you're at in your journey with God. Understand, you know, what's going on. We had an opportunity, Laura gave us an opportunity to just confess to God, like, you know, I'm not all that I really need to be and want to be. And so we have the opportunity to reconcile uh, ourselves with God. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and so forth. And not only that, but we also need to stay connected to one another. You know, the Bible says... um, If you were to ask the question, you know, well, where does the Holy Spirit live? Where can I really find the Holy Spirit? Well, guess what? He lives in us. So if you're not in a a relationship that's uh, significant with other Christians, you miss out on one of the ways that God actually speaks to us. Have you ever been in a group, you know, of people, I don't know, uh, maybe a Bible study or even just having dinner together or something, and Another person, you know, isn't really talking to you, but they're talking to somebody over there. But it's like God turns on the neon light and he's like speaking to you through that person. Have you ever had that experience where you just know that God is having this person say to that person, but it's really directed at you? You know? And that's part of uh, being connected to one another because the Holy Spirit uh, lives in uh, other believers. And so, okay. Now this morning, I'd like to just continue in this passage, and I'd like to suggest to you that not only is the right response spiritual worship and staying connected, but third, serving, serving. And I'd just like to, uh, Romans chapter 12, and I'll start at verse 6, and uh, you're probably familiar with this passage, but um, look what Paul says, um, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So here's the first thing, you know, uh, God not only has given us his son and given us forgiveness and given us grace, and so he's also given us gifts, a gift, you know, Uh, it's Christmas time or it was Christmas time. Gifts are pretty popular things at Christmas time. So Paul goes on here and he explains. He said, you know, God has given each of us a gift and our gifts differ from each other. We're not all the same. We all don't have the same abilities and talents and and so on and so forth, experiences. But let's use the gifts that God has given us. It's embarrassing, right? If you get a gift from a relative that you don't really want, you put it on the shelf, the relative comes over, sees it still on the shelf, you haven't used it. You you know, you got to at least hide it under the bed or something when you know that the relative is coming. Well, Imagine God giving you a gift and you not using it, saying no thanks, you know? And so Paul says, look, another way to respond to God is to take the gift that he's given you and uh, to use it, use them. 
Uh, if it's prophecy, and prophecy is basically speaking forth the word of God, if it's prophecy, then in proportion to our faith. Now, Paul lists seven gifts here. Okay, if it's prophecy, uh, in proportion to our faith. If it's service in our serving, uh, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So seven different gifts. Now, there are other lists in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12 has another list of gifts that's different than this list. So it's not like this is a definitive list. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, while there's all this diversity of giftedness, uh, the emphasis there is that they all come from one spirit. All these different gifts come from one spirit. And so unity, unity among the church, among the Christians, unity is more uh, significant and deeper uh, than the giftedness and using our gifts. Like we need to remember that, right? That's the point of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then uh, Peter has a list too. And Peter, you know, he simplifies things for us. It's kind of neat. Peter's like, all right, there's two gifts and, uh, you know, you either got this one or that one, and um, you're just supposed to use it the way that God desires you to use it. And uh, <clears throat> um, I forgot, uh, you know, I have these slides in the, right in the thing, and so uh, I forgot Second Corinthians 9 talks about gifts and just says, you know, how inexpressible God's gift to us is. And again, Christmas time is a time for giving gifts. And uh, I don't know, I, I think it feels great if you can give the right gift to the right person. Don't you really feel good like if you can connect and give the right gift to the right person? Well, God is very good at matching gifts to people. But we don't always think so. God knows what he's doing. We don't always know what we're doing. And so um, <clears throat> Christmas is just a great time to... Think about gifts. And uh, while God is really good at giving gifts, we don't always do that. But if you think about gifts, a couple things. We don't earn gifts. Gifts are given to us. I, I get discouraged sometimes when Santa Claus gets you know, more publicity than Jesus at Christmas time. And it's about being naughty or nice and everything. No, it's really not about that. It's about how generous our God is. He gives gifts. We all know that we've been given way more. We've been received grace. Grace is undeserved favor, right? And so um, we don't earn gifts. We don't choose our gifts, right? And we don't pay for our gifts. The gifts that come to us from God come from him. However, here's the thing about gifts. Um, you have to be willing to receive a gift. If you say no to God, I don't want that gift, you cut yourself off from some of the abundant life that Jesus came to give, Right? Um, and, and some of us do that. We don't, you know, God's got a plan for our life, and it's like, I've got my own plan for my life, and wow, if I were to really embrace what I think God is wanting me to do, it would really mess up my own plans. And so we don't receive the gift. Another thing about uh, gifts is that you have to unwrap them before you can use them. Right? Stuff comes in a box or whatever, you've got to kind of unpackage it before you can use it. And sometimes it takes a while to figure out what's in the package that God made us to be. And we kind of have to 
Ask other people maybe to help us. What do you see in us? What do we do that really you know, connects with other people and try this, try that, until we unwrap the gift that God has given us and we know what it is. But real change happens in our life when we venture out to grab a hold of that abundant life and say, God has satisfied me in my life and, and met my needs and so forth, and I have this extra to give. And when we sacrifice ourselves and you know, stretch ourselves a little bit and put ourselves in positions where God has to come through, we're surprised sometimes uh, to see that God is actually using us to build his kingdom. And so seven gifts that are listed here, um, and again, uh, there are other uh, places, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says it's like uh, two gifts, and he says it like this. He says, um, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it. There you go again, right? Don't sit on it. Uh, use it to serve one another. God has given us gifts or abilities that enable us supernaturally to build into other people's lives. The gifts aren't for us. They're for us to worship God with by loving other people with our gifts, okay? And Peter, uh, you know, he says it like this, use, it, use the gifts, serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Two kinds of gifts, right? Speaking gifts and serving gifts is a kind of way to make it simple. And uh, just to kind of ask the question, you know, where, where, what's my giftedness? And uh, how am I using it? Uh, when we kind of look at Jesus and uh, think about him, uh, there's kind of a picture that emerges about him uh, responding to God, uh, moving closer to us with worship and with connection and with serving. And we look at Jesus as our example. Jesus says, come on, follow me, follow me. And uh, that's what Jesus did. Jesus, of course, had all of these gifts. And, um, you know, he invites us then to follow him with our gifts and to use them to glorify God uh, is to recognize his goodness through Jesus and uh, notice how uh, Peter says, you know, that God is to be glorified in everything. And so um, glorified, that, that's kind of like a church word, glorified, but, you know, it just means looking good, right? If you're going to glorify somebody, you make them look good. You're, you, you praise them. You're, you're honoring them. You're making them look good. And Jesus came and makes our heavenly Father glorified. He looks really good that he would love us to this degree. And so uh, to refuse his gifts is a serious thing. And so Jesus says, follow me. And when we look at Jesus, he really does give us a picture of what we would call today a servant leader. A servant leader. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, term or not, but um, I think a servant leader is what God would call all of us to be as we follow Jesus. And uh, Nobody could deny that Jesus is the greatest servant that ever lived. We read this morning, uh, uh, Debbie read this morning for us uh, that Jesus said, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. And then he says, come on, follow me. Uh, we're not here to be served as much as we're here to serve. 
And God has equipped us or gifted us to be able to serve each other in ways that are actually supernatural and that then again bring change into our lives. And uh, no one can say that Jesus wasn't the greatest servant. I mean, just ask yourself, what other religion has a God who literally loves us to death and dies for us? There's no other religion with a God like Jesus. And uh, who can name a leader that's greater than Jesus? Who has more influence on the history of mankind than the person of Jesus? Can you think of anybody who had, who's had more influence uh, over the course of history? He's a servant leader. And I know that the idea of a servant leader kind of requires a paradigm shift, right? If you think about your ego, um, Lots of people think that ego, E-G-O, you know, uh, stands for uh, edging God out, right? My ego rises and I edge God out more and more as my ego gets bigger and bigger. And uh, when you become a servant and you respond like Paul is talking about here in Romans 12, uh, you might think that your ego, E-G-O, stands for exalting God only, exalting God only. We're here to glorify God, to make God look good, to help other people understand how good God really is, right? How good God really is, uh, and by being servant leaders. I have a friend who um, serves uh, as a missionary to the United Nations. I don't know if you might even know him. I don't know if you've ever had him here. His name is Gary Allen. And he has a ministry to diplomats who, uh, you know, are from all over the world uh, who are part of the U- United Nations. And uh, Gary is a really interesting guy. He was a, a brain surgeon before the Lord called him into this ministry. And he's been at this ministry for quite a, a long time now. And he's written several books. And uh, one of the books that he wrote is entitled... Uh, challenge to govern as statesmen. All of his books deal with biblical concepts about being in government and uh, being there for the people. Uh, and this particular book, Challenge to Govern as Statesmen. And in this book, he compares uh, what a statesman is to what a politician is. Statesman, politician. He talks about some of our founding fathers as statesmen. And he talks about how they're different than what we think of when we think of politicians. And on the cover of that book, there's this quote. A politician thinks about the next election. A statesman thinks about the next generation. A politician looks for the success of his party. A statesman looks for the success of his country. The statesman wishes to steer while a politician is satisfied to drift, right? A statesman is a servant leader. A statesman recognizes that they are servants of the living God, that government is a function that God has ordained, and that they serve a living God. And Gary works with all these different individuals um, uh, to help them understand what God's ideal is for governing uh, a country. And so he talks about this, a servant leader. And in Matthew chapter 20, the passage that was read for us, Jesus, I think, describes this quite well. Uh, Jesus called his disciples to him. And uh, he said, you, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. 
Just think about kind of the political landscape around the world. The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Two different words, servant and slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Servant leaders. And that's what Jesus calls us to be. Now, again, I think some people think that the idea of servant and the idea of leader are opposite ideas. But they're not in the mind of God. Uh, They're what Jesus actually was, a servant leader. And so uh, in Matthew chapter 20, when Jesus talks about this, um, you notice he uses these two different words. The first one is diaconus, which we get our word deacon from, or deaconess. And uh, the second one, slave, is the word doulos. And um, a deacon or a diaconess in the Greek is uh, somebody who serves voluntarily. A slave, the word doulos, a slave is a bondservant. Sometimes your Bible will have that translation. And this is somebody who goes beyond volunteering, okay, and gives up their personal rights and becomes indebted and becomes um, uh, obligatory to their master or to their lord. Uh, Slaves were usually purchased, right? Uh, Just like we've been purchased by the blood of Christ, by the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, Only we were purchased for freedom, not for bondage. Again, back in 1 Peter, and uh, chapter 1, Peter puts it like this, In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, Knowing that you were ransomed or purchased from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were purchased. And so once we get past volunteering and kind of the next step then is recognizing you know, I, I, when I consider all, the more I learn about what God has done for me and what God has prepared for my future and so on and so forth, the more I feel obligated to fulfill his desire for my life. I am his workmanship. You remember Paul says? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So while we're still here, God has a, a, a job for us to do. And uh, he's gifted us to be able to do it. And uh, all through the scriptures, he gives encouragement through the New Testament to take these various gifts that God has given us and to use them. We realize that a servant leader is somebody who both makes a voluntary choice as well as realizing the price God paid for them uh, to give them eternal life and to love us and so forth, that we also have an obligation to Jesus as Lord. He is Lord of the universe. He is, after all, God. He is the Son of God, and he has a will for us. And part of this whole passage here in uh, Romans chapter 12 is for us to try to discern uh, what his will actually is for us and to give ourselves to it. And so a servant leader voluntarily obligates themselves to serve. But I want to say to you that it's a process. It's a process. We don't just decide we're going to do this and overnight be done. Uh, If we look at the context of Matthew chapter 20 in uh, verse 20, typical mother, okay? 
Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, the disciples, James and John, uh, their mom comes up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling before him, she asks him for something. And he said, what do you want? And so she said to him, say to these two sons of mine, are to sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink the cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, uh, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father and so forth. And when the other 10 disciples heard about it, right, they were indignant at these two guys. Well, it was mom, right, who, I want my two boys to be right on the right and the left. Jesus, it's just, it's a process to get to that servanthood. Uh, you know, I'm just here to serve. What's she saying? If they're going to serve, well, what's in it for me? That's what she's asking, right? I want my two boys to be the stars, you know? If you go back to chapter 19, and uh, here's Peter. And we all love Peter. He's just, uh, you know, he's so much like us. Uh, so Peter says in uh, verse 20, what is that? 27, uh, Then Peter said in reply, See, look, we've left everything and followed you, Jesus. What will we have? What's in this for me? When you're making a decision to invest time or energy or effort into some project, don't you kind of ask the question, what's in it for me? Right? And so this is a process of growing. And, and, and so look what Jesus says to Peter. He says, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, in the world that's coming, okay, and you have to kind of ask, am, am I okay with this? In the new world, in the, <clears throat> in the world that's coming, Uh, When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother of children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now, you've got to say as a believer, this is Jesus, right? This is red in your Bible, so it's what Jesus said. Do you believe that there's a coming kingdom where you'll receive a hundredfold of every sacrifice you've made in this life? It's kind of interesting because if you compare this to uh, Peter, this is early on when Jesus and Peter are together and so on, and Peter's like, well, what's in this for me? And uh, when Peter finally writes, you know what he says? He's put... All your hope, put all your hope on that day when Jesus comes back. Peter grew. It was a process. He got to the place where he said, I don't expect anything in this life. I don't expect anything to come my way that, you know, I deserve. But in the next life, God will pay attention to every sacrifice, every living sacrifice that I made. And every time I took that gift that God gave me and used it for his kingdom... Um, and so it's kind of interesting to just think about uh, what that would really look like if we were to just let go of this life in that sense and uh, be like Peter and say, you know what, in the life to come, God will take care of it and I trust him. Uh, so the first part of this is servanthood. The second part is leadership, servant leaders. Uh, the best definition I know of leadership is just influence. I like to keep it simple, right? I mean, what is leadership? It's not a position, 
it's, it's influence. Whoever has the most influence has the leadership. Uh, and so uh, everybody influences somebody. Leadership, servant leadership. Uh, it's not, again, about positions and, and so forth or titles. It's really about influence. And so we influence people, I would suggest, at least in three ways. Uh, first of all, we influence people by our example, right? Uh, people are watching us. The minute you say, I'm a Christian, the minute you say, I know God personally, the minute you say the very spirit of God has moved into my life, people are watching you. They're just watching. They're seeing. Are you really any different than me? Uh, do you have a different reaction when you get sick? Do you have a different reaction when you get offended? Do you have a different reaction when somebody you know, rips you off and so forth? Are you able to forgive? Are you able to give grace, undeserved favor? like God gave to us. Are you able to love other people the way Jesus loves you and so forth? We influence other people by our example. Second, we influence other people when through the gifts that God has given us, other people experience the love of God through us. When you go first, you know how God always goes first and he always approaches us and he speaks first and he loves first and he sacrifices first. When you go first, and you're not waiting for the other person to come, and you love that person somehow. It softens people up to be open to the gospel. And uh, we influence people, I think, in that manner. And then finally, we influence people by persuasion or by reasoning. In um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul you know, used to love to do this, but in verse 11, first part of verse 11 he says therefore knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade other people we don't sit back and wait for people to come to us we go first we love them and then we persuade them about the truth and he goes on he says uh, <clears throat> let's see in uh, verse 14 uh, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but uh, for him uh, who for their sake died and was raised. And then uh, in chapter 10, Paul kind of continues this thought here and he says, we destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We destroy the arguments that are raised against the truth about God. We persuade people. We engage. How do we influence other people? Well, we're not afraid to uh, represent God's word into other people's lives with love. Uh, servant leaders. Can I just say in closing that servant leadership is for all of us? It's for all of us. We're all servants and we're all influencers or leaders. And uh, if you go through the Bible, uh, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Joshua, Nehemiah, David, uh, Daniel, Paul, Peter, they are all, okay, called servants by God. They are servant leaders. And you can be the CEO of a large company or you can be just starting out at Chick-fil-A learning that it's your pleasure to serve other people. That's what you learn at Chick-fil-A. It's wonderful, right? Changing from selfish to servant. It's a journey. Going from a selfish posture to a servant posture in order that we might honor our God. It's not about trying harder, Paul says. It's not about waiting until your feelings change about it. It's renewing your mind as to how you think about yourself, right? About other people, about God. 
And uh, as we renew our minds, God is able to actually change not just our minds, but our thoughts, feelings, and choices. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's great, you know, that you desire for us to be a part of building your kingdom. But it's even greater when we think that you've equipped each of us with a special gift, usually a mix of some kind of gifts, and that we're all different, and that we all have something that we can offer that builds your kingdom. And it all comes from the same spirit. And uh, there's unity, and there's respect for each other's giftedness. And there's instructions for us about, you know, uh, we might get tired using our gift or, you know, in that passage in Romans uh, 12 there, you give extra advice to people about how to use their gifts. And I pray that you would help us to pay attention and that we'd be excited about gifts and that we would take the gift that you've given us and use it for your glory and in the process discover that abundant life that Jesus actually came to give us in whose name we pray, amen.